I recommend looking for better neighborhoods, lower price points so that you can really build value back into it. And the house that I bought to flip, I bought it because, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the area I would normally choose, but the price was great. I was like, well, I'm going to flip a black mid-century modern house. So sure. there's some of that where you just kind of know what people will pay more for and what's kind of like a novelty type of house. So mm -hmm. that's more important than, you know, a specific neighborhood or area to me. What's going on, guys? My name is Ryan Snod. It rhymes with odd and welcome to the Rhymes with Odd podcast. Today we have a special guest. Kelsey Russell is in the house. Thanks for coming on the show, Kelsey. Yeah, absolutely. Today we are talking about all things real estate, business ownership, and kind of just sharing like our personal connection and how we've known each other. So excited to have you on the pod today to talk about all those different things, investment, real estate, and kind of all, all the different things that go into it. So yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. Awesome. So for the folks that, I mean, we've known each other for, gosh, probably since like 2017, 2018. Yeah, I think about. So we met at, it was a bodybuilding competition, actually. It was, um, a friend of mine was competing and Ryan was doing all of the kind of, you know, video of other competitors. So um, met through that. And then I actually had a series where I interviewed local people in Des Moines, um, just unique people, places, viewpoints, and just really was impressed by like your online presence, your business and had you on as my guest. So kind of cool to see it fun come full circle. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, when I launched the podcast, I'm like, gotta have Kelsey on the podcast and like, yeah. just keep it, keep it going here to keep the trend going. So, yeah. um, so it's kind of interesting too, because it was what, like six, seven years ago when we first met. Um, a lot of people like kind of bounce around careers and stuff. You're still doing uh, real estate. So give the folks a little background on like how you got into real estate and kind of what that origin story was like. Yeah, absolutely. So I went to Iowa State um, for architecture. Um, always loved houses, always loved kind of the the blueprints and the background details of things. Um, got into the landscape architecture program. So you had kind of a year of design work, got into landscape architecture, did that for a year, and then just decided that it wasn't, I did job shadows. So that's one thing I always recommend to people too, like a little side note is if they're asking about, you know, what their kids want to do. I did a couple job shadows and realized very quickly that landscape architecture and just the architecture engineering world wasn't for me. I just need to be out and about. I need to see people. I need to make connections. Um, so that was really big, just making that transition. So I started job shadowing. I knew I wanted to be in sales, um, you know, interacting with people, do it throughout the day, getting to use different skills. So I did a job shadow with a financial advisor and a realtor and just fell in love with the real estate aspect. Um, for me, it's the thing that kind of combines all of my interests. So I love the analytical side. I love running calculations for investments or for people's you know, portfolio. But I also love getting to see people and being out and about, networking, business development. So real estate and I love beautiful houses and blueprints, right? So real estate combined you know, all those things where you get kind of the financial aspect. You get to help people plan for the future, but you also get to see different houses and build business. So that was how I got into it. And then very quickly realized I was lucky to, you know, come on with a great team. I was on a team for two years. I got to work for a builder, got to represent a bunch of different new construction houses, learn the custom build process. Um, and then realized pretty quickly that I wanted to be on my own and build something of my own. So I started the Cornerstone Collective, which is our team and started bringing on people. And the only regret I have with that is not doing it sooner. You know, I think I'm a really big believer in right people, right seats and how that can grow your business. And that can just make everyone's life easier and give them opportunities. 
So yeah, that was the biggest thing was just creating a brand that, you know, I could really stand behind. That's one thing I appreciate about you is that there's a lot of intention behind everything you do. And that was something with the Cornerstone Collective was, you know, the name and the meaning behind that was important to us. So making sure that that was, you know, part of it. For sure. No, and I think that's interesting just hearing kind of how you got into it. Cause I know you've been, you've been doing, how long you've been a realtor for? Eight years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at what point in your kind of career did you, were you just working by yourself? Cause for people that don't know, like mm-hmm. you have to be under a brokerage, right? You can't just be selling homes without being under like Keller Williams or 21st century, or yeah. century 21 or yeah. you're with Remax, correct? Yeah. I'm with Remax Concepts. So you do have to be under a brokerage, but you can have your own brokerage. So I could have had the Cornerstone Collective, you know, brokerage, not team. But the reason to be under a brokerage, you know, our, our overhead with the brokerage is very minimal and they, you know, they help with all of the accounting and paperwork and legal and all those things. So for me, it's, there's no point in not being a part of it when it's so minimal and you get so much support and just the the camaraderie and the agents and the culture, you know, our team has seven agents and myself, um, and concepts has over 300 and we're all over Iowa. So having those connections and having that camaraderie, was huge. So that's the biggest thing is you can definitely do your own. But for me, I I like being a part of something bigger. And I like, you know, the synergy that can come from that. Sure. Because if you're, I mean, with your, like, say the Remax team, do you guys get together like as a region? So like mm-hmm. all the agents that are under Remax would get together annually or quarterly and do like your get togethers or a conference or like what, yeah. what benefits does that have for people? Yeah. So Remax as a whole um, is all over the nation. So they have a yearly conference. Um, it's been in like Vegas and Florida. So every year we can go to that, you know, they have training, they have events. Um, and then within Remax Concepts, our, you know, local brokerage, we have, I believe 10 offices now around the Metro and then, you know, outskirts of Iowa have some other offices as well. I believe we have one in, we do have one in Florida, I believe in Nashville as well. So they're expanding out. And with us, we do like monthly breakfast, they have training. So you have to do, you know, 36 hours of credit a year to keep up your license. And they provide that. So that's part of what they provide. So I mean, each brokerage is a little different, you know, the due structures are different, and the events and the supports a little different. But I've just always, you know, you get what you pay for and you get the, the, um, just the peers you want to work with. So for me, it's always a big like culture decision. And that's definitely the most important thing within our team as well. It's just having people that care more about the culture and how you treat the clients and how you treat each other than, you know, the numbers of everything as much. Sure. Cause I know if, if you're more of a transactional agent, mm-hmm. that's not really like the long term, especially with yourself. Like if you want to be in this industry for a majority of your career, it's like, well, you can't treat all your first year people like crap because then they'll never come back. Yes. You know, it's like people switch houses a lot. So it's trying to find yes. find the right combination of like getting good work done, but also like building connections with people too. Yes, absolutely. So in that vein, I wanted to ask a little bit about what was like the first year in real estate like versus now? I mean, Everyone talks, I mean, it's a sales job, right? Yeah. You have to be really hustling. And if you don't sell, you're not going to make anything. So yes. walk me through kind of that first year that you were having your own kind of uh, real estate company and figuring out how to do, how to manage all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Funny story. So I was, I remember calling my father and being like, I am going to go into real estate. Like I turned down this great job opportunity and I didn't tell them. So I had a job uh, offer from Cerner, which is like a you know, it was a contract with the Department of Defense. So you would be able to do like business analytics and travel all over 
and it would have been amazing. But you also had to travel Monday through Thursday every single week. And I, anyone that knows me well, I do not vacation. Like I like vacationing, but then I come back and I need a week to get back on my routine. And you my vacation schedule. from your vacation. Yes. And I like love having a routine. I'm such a habitual person because like, you know, you work hard, you play hard, but like I have to have my routine. So I had asked, you know, Take me back to the question you had asked. Sure. I'd ask kind of what was that first year like when you launched yes. the business and what was what was your day-to-day like? Scary. <laughs> yeah. It was scary, honestly, because I, I mean, so I asked, I just told my folks, turn down the job and I'm doing this instead because I, there's a lot of people that just don't have the, you know, the desire to try in self-employed jobs, in commission-based jobs. And I'm definitely, definitely someone that I like security. And I like knowing that there is, you know, there's job security, there's some sort of like guarantee and real estate's not that. But I also am someone I'm very loyal. And I knew that if I went to a company, you know, and started there, I would never leave. Like I, I felt that I would climb the ladder quickly and I would get into management and I would do well, but I would never have my own thing. So I just, I had to start, you know, and that's the biggest thing is I tell people, you know, I've interviewed now 51 agents that want to get into real estate And we're very selective for our team. But the biggest thing I tell people is just be smart about it, you know, like have a savings, have, you know, a plan for I'm not going to sell a house probably for four months is what I tell people because or I'm not going to get a commission check for four months because you start and then you have a month of just, you know, running around trying to get your license approved and your background check. And there's just logistics of everything getting set up. And even if you work with the best client ever and you find them a house in two weeks, they're still going to have 30 to 45 days to close. So, you know, three, four months you might have where you're not getting paid. So it's just, it it was scary. It was very scary and it was hard to build a book of business, but it was also, I'm a big believer in, you know, do, there's a Zig Ziglar quote that's like, if you can get everything you want, if you help other people get what they want. And I really live by that. And so just helping other people get what they want, plant the seeds. And I started with business owners. Like that is why I interviewed you and some other people is I I just saw that if you put good into the community and you highlight good people and you build connections, that will that will, you know, return tenfold in the future. And that is what happened. You know, it started slowly with client after client and then positioning yourself with the right people. You know, I started with an agent that was um he would have been over 10 years in the business at that point. Their family owns multiple businesses around town. He had a builder I could represent. And it's funny, there's a lot of optics in real estate too. Like I got to put my signs out and be a part of those listings. And so all my friends and family are like, whoa, you've sold 30 listings in Ankeny. And it's, no, those aren't my sales. Those are my team member sales, but I'm a part of them, you know? So you get a small portion of things and you align yourself with the right people and you learn, you know, you pay your dues. So that was the biggest thing is like who you align with has a lot to do with what success you'll have. And my team members and our culture is very strong because they get that as well. Like they work really hard, but they also get a lot of benefit off of being on a team and being in an established environment. Sure. And I I know a lot of people say, especially with sales, it's like networking's huge and people always throw that networking, networking. But I think it always looks different for different agents too, Mm -hmm. because like you said, if you have a certain avatar, we'll call them or persona you're aiming for, whether it's business Mm -hmm. owners, first time home buyers, people that just moved to the city, like that's all different strategies on like how you get in with those people. But I I think something that you've done, which I always commend you for is that you don't, I, I wouldn't say you're like hard selling very often. You're just always like 
being seen, which I think is mm-hmm. such a huge piece to being like approachable by people that you're like open door policy. Like anytime you have a question, ask me that type of thing. I think that's a lot better than knocking on doors and be like, you want to sell your house? Do you want to buy your house? Like constantly yes. like pushing it down your throat. Cause I think it's, it's definitely when people are going through one of the biggest transactions they'll do, they don't want to be with someone that is only there for the commission. It's like, mm-hmm. especially with the networking piece, like if you sell someone a house in seven years, they're probably going to move again. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if they had a great experience and they feel like it was their idea to come to you in the first place, I feel like people would re- redo those and come back to you again. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been – I did do a lot of like video, social media, those things just to stay top of mind. But it was a lot of my content was answering frequently asked questions. So like someone would ask a question that I get asked five times a week and I, I would just make a video about those things because my whole like strategy with social media is just – um, add value, you know, give value, give information, educate people and anything that they want to be a part of that story. So it's always like sharing client stories, sharing client questions versus, you know, here's this house that you can buy. Like, yes, we market our listings very well, but that's not our approach for getting, you know, new leads. And I completely agree with the networking aspect. Yes, I went to a lot of networking events that first year. You just want to get out there. You want people to know who you are. But after that, it's it's how can I help you win in business? You know, if it's a business owner or if it's a client, how can I help you win? What do you need? And I mean, I really am known as someone that like has a resource for anything. Like uh, we don't – we need a roofer. Call Kelsey. Mm-hmm. We need to know – the local, you there's know, rats in my basement. Come, yes. where do I call? Yes, <laughs> the video professional, call right. Kelsey. She's right. got Ryan. You right. know, so that's how I grew more than anything is just being a connector. Like I love connecting good people, and that's introduced me to some really, you know, highly established people in Des Moines, and then it just grows from there. Sure. Well, and even in our case too, Paige and I've recommended you plenty of times to people yeah. because. A lot of people, yeah, you're absolutely, well, and we, I mean, being from out of town, we didn't have, you know, everyone's got a cousin or a a Mm -hmm. third twice removed neighbor's uncle that does it. The like six layers of Kevin Bacon. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody knows somebody. So I think that's part of it too, is that we would just share our story, which I think is interesting. So I guess I haven't mentioned this. You were our agent for selling our house in 2020, which let's talk about that market for a second. What a freaking crazy time to be selling real estate. Um, Because I know we had... We had listed and we our house it was our first house was under two hundred thousand mm-hmm. list price. So I think that alone probably has like four thousand people have email mm-hmm. alerts when a, a new listing under two hundred thousand. Yes. Like let's well, go. Well, and yours was so unique because it was like that one street that's still a brick road. I, that's like the main thing I remember from your. I mean, obviously I remember all the details of your house, but that little brick road. People just love the little nuanced, unique things like that with houses too. Yeah, I think it's like the la- one of the last brick roads in Des Moines, mm-hmm. and it was ironic because the town I grew up in had all brick roads, oh, and it's like gosh. super old, like yeah. on the river. So it was like a little homey touches, which yeah. is kind of fun, but. Yeah, I think I want to say we had like 24 listing or 24 showings yes. in like 48 hours or something. Yep. Like we just moved out for two days and yep. just had people running through our house all the time, which was kind of crazy. So what was like in, in your opinion, like what's been like the best season of real estate and the mm-hmm. worst season? And how, how have you had to kind of manage that? Because I know a lot of people, if they get into the business in 2020 mm-hmm. and they're selling a house every other day and like, this is insane. And, you know, then they think that's the, that's the average or the normal, like walk me through kind of the ebbs and flows of the business as the market changes. Yeah. So best season for me was definitely like COVID and the year after, I guess COVID just like officially, you know, ended, but those first couple years when COVID first started, because so many people 
it was two things. People wanted office space because everyone was working from home. And if you've got, you know, three kids and you were in a four bedroom house, but now you need two offices, people wanted to expand and people had a lot more disposable income because you're stuck at home. So you're not going out to eat. You're not going out and buying things as much. So you combine those two things and people's buying power goes way up as well as their motivation going way up. So that was really big for us was there was just a huge surge of people wanting to buy and people, you know, wanting to get into larger homes was the biggest thing. Um, So that was by far the best couple years of real estate for me. And then the worst, I mean, the last the last year or so has been a lot slower just because interest rates have gone up a lot. Um, for, it, in the height of COVID, it was the lowest, like 2% was the lowest or um, it dipped I, sub 2 I don't think we got below 2 in okay. our market, but um, at least I didn't have anyone that was quoted that. But um, yeah, I mean, they were extremely low. And that's the thing is people's, your buying power is super, super high when your interest rate is that low. So you know, people were moving a lot. Now we're looking at, you know, six and a half, seven. And I do think that'll, you know, even out in the mid to upper five, sixes, you know, by the end of probably 2024. But, and don't quote me on that. I don't sure. have a crystal ball. We're definitely putting that in. I know, in a- put it in writing, <laughs> sign off. Um, but that's the thing is right now, people's buying power is a lot less if you're looking at interest rates. But there is, there's kind of two sides to every story. And I'm definitely not someone that there's a lot of realtors that'll say, now's the best time to buy. And every day is the best time to buy because they just give you a different version of why. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something to be said for if you're someone that's going to be in a house for a long time, those are the people we're talking to now. Like I have just as many conversations telling someone not to move because the interest rate's super high and they're really not going to change their house that much or there's not like a motivating factor because like we do care about the overall financials and the long-term picture because I don't want someone to buy a house at a 7% interest rate if they have a 2.5% interest rate right now to change, you know, one bedroom when they could add one into the basement. So You're going to, like, double your mortgage every month for one little – Yes. Not to mention all the pain of moving, like, yes. pack all your stuff up, get yeah. a moving crew, all mm-hmm. the stuff. So. so I always joke that, like, sometimes I, like, talk my people out of selling and that's probably not the best strategy for a salesperson, but – at the end of the day, like that's what I would want someone to do for me. And we care about the best situation long-term and having lifelong clients. But on the flip side of that, it is a really good time for people still when the interest rates are higher, if they're wanting, you know, a, a pretty large incremental change in what they're getting for a house or they have to move. They have, you know, people always have to move, whether it's relocation or, um, you know, family growing and they just need more space. So this, the nice thing when rates are higher is purchase prices are normally a little bit lower and you don't have as much competition. So our people that are buying now, you know, a lot of them are getting really good deals on a property, you know, where they're getting a better, a better purchase price. They're getting seller concessions. They're getting a lot of, you know, home warranties, home inspections and everything. I would never tell someone to ever waive a home inspection, but people did it, you know, in the market you were in. So there's always, you know, there's kind of a catch 22 on both ends of it, whether it's a good time to buy based on rates and inventory and pricing and all of that. So yeah, I mean, now it's slower because for most people, when rates jump up, you know, double or more, it's not worth it to sell right now. So. Sure. No, mm-hmm. I think that's interesting too. Cause what, what would you say is like the one of the, it would now be kind of one of the more challenging times you'd said. So 2020 was kind of the peak of like yeah. of your career so far of like yeah. best, best market. Like anyone could sell a house where now it's like, okay, yeah. it, it takes Like you said, a, you a, have a to, professional you, that's been through it so they can guide you through that process. Cause like, I'm sure the negotiations are a lot more tough now with the interest rates because the margins are so tight for people mm-hmm. or the mortgage is like just outside of the reach. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, how can we, you know, work, make this work? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You just have to be more strategic and you have to be more creative. You know, there's a lot of different options we can do on both sides, you know, seller and buyer side to make a deal work if both parties want to, you know, so that is something that we get to do when the market's a little tighter, like you're talking about, you get creative and you make it work. Um, And it really just, you have to look at it, in my opinion, from a business perspective. Like there's so many realtors that are just acting as someone that buys and sells homes, you know, but there's a whole nother, you know, investment arm of it. And then there's other things from, you know, scaling the business. So I've really looked at when things are a little bit slower, how do I help my team have some leads? How are, you know, they work a lot of my buyer side sphere leads so that they have business going on and I can do more business development that makes the process better for everyone. Um, So you look at your business development, you look at how to, do more with your marketing, better marketing, how to scale, how to get the right people in the right seats. Um, And that's something that with COVID, a lot of people, yeah, just kind of 2020 to 2021 time, a lot of people tried to do everything. Mm -hmm. And you also have to realize, like, if you don't have the right people in the right seats, you sometimes you just have to drop things because we only have so many hours in a day. And like you'll if you watch the trend of like my marketing fell off a little bit because we just were selling so many houses and it's like client experience always is number one. Mm-hmm. So our marketing fell off a little bit. Some other things fell off a little bit until you get the right people in to cover that. So that's the biggest thing is just from a business owner perspective. How do I keep, you know, client experience and client satisfaction number one then how do you keep the team running smoothly and happily and then how do you do business development and the social media and some of the extra things that you know we always post our clients stories but we like to fill in with other things you know events and um what's happening in Des Moines and all of those things so you just have to edit you know you have to edit and I always say I always have like a list of um keep at or outsource and so we were not adding anything and we needed to outsource more. And now Mm -hmm. we have more time to build out, you know, the other aspects of stuff. So a lot of people, I think, in sales jobs don't look at it from a business perspective of when you have a slower season, that's actually a really nice time to build out systems and build out, you know, your back end and your outsourcing. Sure. No, I love that. And I think you you mentioned multiple times, like bring on the team and the challenge with that. Mm -hmm. Walk me through kind of when you made the decision that, okay, I'm at my bandwidth's edge. Like we have enough margin in the business. I can bring on another agent or I can kind of like, I could take the time to train and develop someone, which is a completely different skill set yeah. than selling a house or closing deals. Walk me through kind of that process of how you first brought on your first person. Yeah. So I had a team before my current team and that was kind of a quick, I had, I had three team members, um, four for a little bit and then dissolved that team pretty quick. And it was all, you know, amicable, amicable, civil, but it was just everyone wanted to kind of be an independent agent. And that's something I had to realize very quickly is I attracted people that were drivers and that were were like you that were just like me and wanted to like be me and create the same thing. And so we all kind of quickly realized that like there was a lot more like clash than there was synergy in building out things, right? So when I switched brokerages, um, it was just kind of open door policy. You know, you guys can do whatever you'd like. Um, And so then I built another team and that's the team I have today. So, you know, double the size, culture's amazing. You know, everyone sees it from a perspective of, I want to be a part of this and how can we build and how can we have synergy and grow from there versus, you know, I want to learn this and replicate it. And neither are bad. You know, both of them are good things, but I am really big on like, I want to outsource things. I want to build. And that's, we built the team very differently because I've always wanted to have, um, 
well-rounded agents. So a lot of teams have, you know, team lead and then there's a buyer's agent, a listing agent, you know, someone that runs comps and does the back end stuff. And, you know, it's very segmented. Mm -hmm. So we have an assistant, we have a transaction coordinator on the back end. Um, We have some concepts, people that um, the brokerage that also does, you know, accounting and all the overhead type stuff. But I wanted every agent to know how to do all the things, right? Mm -hmm. So like every agent is a listing agent and a buyer's agent. And so it enabled me, the biggest thing that I did differently, if I can sum it up, is I give a lot better splits to my agents than a lot of people in town. Um, But I expect them to operate how I would, which is a very high standard of what client experience would be and what our systems are. So it's, you know, the same for everyone and it operates like a business. So that was the biggest thing is just figuring out like what, how you want your team to operate and what mistakes I might have made the first time around and just biting the bullet and recreating a new thing. Um, So that took some learning and it's really just, I thought I had it all figured out and I didn't and you start over and then you build something really wonderful. And I'm just so proud of the team I have now because everyone truly, you know, they care about the clients, number one, but they, if someone's going out of town on the weekends, you know, like we have your business covered and your client is just as taken care of as my client. Um, and so they get to work a lot of my buy side clients as well. So like if you guys were to sell your house again, um, one of my team agents would help you on the buy side. I would handle the listing side. So I do mainly just listings and business development. There's a few people that if I'm really, really close with them, I'll still handle the buy side. But it's it's to their best interest that I don't just because my schedule is a lot busier than some of the people on the team. And it's just seasonality, you know, of if someone has a client that's super um, – intensive with showings and things they're not going to be as available and that's what people don't account for in real estate is we wanted it I wanted it so that they could have the chance to make you know good money and support their families but also be very available for my clients on the buy side so that I can do what needs to get done to get them the most for their house on the sell side um so really it's just figuring out what works for you like for me I don't have the schedule capacity to handle buyers at this point and Mm -hmm. give them the best service possible because you've been in the market where you see a house and it's like, we need to see this now, like in the next hour. Like I'm eating dinner with my family, like throw the kitchen fork on the ceiling, like get going, get the car. And that is how it is. And that's how it's been for the last eight years. Like, yeah, there's some adjustments, but really that's the thing too. When people complain about the market and how hard it is to be in real estate, like I mean, we are nowhere near an 0708 situation. We have a very strong market. We have buyers and sellers. Things sell every day. So, you know, it's not difficult. And we have been blessed to have, you know, a lot of clients always ready to do stuff. So you just have to build out the team and the experience that you want people to have. Sure. I think that's great. And it's interesting too hearing your perspective because I'm to the point in my business where I'm seriously considering part-time or full-time person to help me in like mm-hmm. the next six to 12 months. And it's always like, you have to eat a slice of humble pie. Like you said, your first go at it, like there were some things that you would do differently. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at, where it's like, I want to do it, but I want to do it right. I want to try to like mm-hmm. make sure that I'm, you know, when you transition out of like the actual producer in the business or the operator and become the management and the owner, like making sure that you're not changing who you are, but also doing things that, like you said, set your team up to succeed. So, you know, Hey, here's the level that we're expecting to operate at. And here's like guidance on mm-hmm. how to be the best producer of whatever the service is in the business rather than, Hey, I need a X, Y, Z done and then do it however you want. And don't, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I won't be here because I'll be in Cabo all month and have fun. Like trying to, trying to make sure that you're like there for them. Cause I feel like 
once you become an owner or a, a manager, you're like all the different expectations are, you know, it's not just, I have to provide for the customers. It's like, well, I have to provide for them. I have to provide for your family. You have to provide for like, mm-hmm. it's all the different things. Like everything changes. Yeah. What's, what's been kind of your, um, the helpful, because you, did you bring all, you said you have eight team members. So seven and an assistant, so seven, seven agents. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So did you bring all of them on at once or was it like one at a time? And then once you had one or two trained, then you could do the next, or did you just bring them all on at once? Uh, it was, it was segmented a little bit and people had different levels of experience, which helps. So, you know, we've got myself who has eight years of experience. We have another team member that has eight years that helps with some of the training. Um, and we have one that has three and then the rest are under a year. So I care a lot more about the type of person they are and their drive and how well I think that they'll do with just being a self-starter. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to make it in real estate if you don't know how to socialize and you don't know how to build business. And I mean, it's equal parts like being social, being approachable, being someone that can get on social media and market a house. And do you have business acumen and the ability to build something out on your own because Mm -hmm. I am definitely a very hands-off manager in the sense that I'm not going to tell you how to run your business. I'm I'm very hands-on with client stuff. So like I am in the weeds of negotiations and inspections and addendums and stuff, but I'm not going to tell you how to run it. So for me, to your question of timeline, several of them, I mean, everyone joined within six months. Sure. So We've had this team for about a year and a half for the longest member. Um, And like I said, over the past like probably three years when I really started seriously building out a team, I've interviewed 51 people. So, I mean, I'm picky. And if I find that right fit and it's going to be a culture fit more than anything, then it doesn't really matter what time. Like I'll make it work. I'll work extra hours to train you. I'll do all those things because – our culture is number one for me and you have to be a team player. You know, I, everyone has their own things in their own niche. Like we have someone that works with several builders and really likes the build side and the client or the client um, custom side. And then we have other people that love working, you know, some of our colder leads and just like the challenge of meeting new people and building rapport and really getting that sale. Um, so everyone has their own, their own kind of niche and their thing that they work, but really it's just knowing they're going to be a team player and they're going to do what's best for, you know, their clients and the team and each other. That's, that's what I care about. Sure. No, I love that. Um, switching gears a little bit. I know people, a lot of times are talking about different ways to invest in real estate because it's, it's a great method of doing that. What are some of the ways that you've helped clients and some of the ways you recommend for someone that if they're trying to look at real estate is like they've never actually done it, but they're looking to get into it. What are some of your um, suggestions for that? Yeah. So first off, be very careful about the amount of risk you want to take on would be my first thing because real estate investment can be an amazing vehicle to diversify your wealth and to build wealth, but it can also, you can lose very quickly if you do the wrong things or you take on too much. So, and the other thing I would say just like before we even dig into that is Your personal property, like your primary residence, is a great investment. I think a lot of people, you know, I talk to people that they, they, I love bigger pockets and all the things online that tell you about real estate, but they're like, oh, I've been on bigger pockets and I need to buy a fourplex and I need to, you know, house hack. Yeah, I need a house hack and I need to do a live and flip and this and that. And then they, you know, they take out a 30K loan to do a flip on top of their, you know, like a renovation loan. And then they don't know how to have a production schedule or a contractor. And then they're 
you know, they're underwater in it. So that's the biggest thing is realizing that for a lot of people, your first and best investment is just looking at your first home you buy as what would be a good primary primary residence that would flip into a good rental. So I'm going to live in it, you know, whether it's a townhouse, make sure that, well, one, make sure you work with a really good agent that's going to like ask you these questions. Like that's one of our main questions we ask first time buyers is, are you interested in investments? Like, do you want to know something that you could flip into an investment? So because we can always look at if you're looking at a condo or a townhome for a first property, um, single family, you're normally fine unless there's a weird HOA. But condo townhomes, a lot of them don't allow rentals. They don't allow leases. So or they don't allow dogs or, you know, things that will really hurt you on getting renters. Um, So that's the biggest thing is like look at that first property as an investment and how you can build from there. Um, You can do a lot of interesting things like cash out refinances and things, too, if you want to keep that property and use it to cash flow other properties. So that and then, you know, you can do a bunch of different vehicles, but there's kind of a few main ideas I like people to understand is just the different ways that you can build um, wealth from real estate investing, like the different types of investments and the different ways you can build wealth. But it's also looking at like the biggest thing I can tell people is have good partners. So have a good realtor you trust, have a good contractor or have basically have a good realtor And then they'll give you lenders, contractors, vendors, all those things. If they're really into investment side of stuff, they should have people that they trust to be your contractor, to manage a production schedule, to do all those things. If you were to do a flip or you were to do – a lot of people don't think about if you buy and hold a rental, you're still going to have work to do to it to make it up to par with like what the current – market is looking like for renters if it's a you know a resale home right so having the right connections to get those vendors and get the people that can give you good numbers because if you don't know your numbers then you're not going to like being an investment so you know what's your cap rate on a property what is the what's going to be the cost to renovate the property what's the cost of property management are you going to manage it yourself like there's just a laundry list of questions that are very basic once you've done one, but like you just don't think about sometimes. Um, and then I like to just like tell people because a lot of people don't realize if they've never thought about real estate investing, the different ways to capture money basically with real estate. So you've got, you know, just your cash flow, which everyone thinks about initially. So if I have, you know, this mortgage expense and these other expenses on this property and I'm renting it out for X amount, take it what you're renting it out for minus all the expenses. So that's your cash flow. Um, what a lot of people don't think about is equity capture. So if you're in a down market and you buy a property and it's going to be worth more than what you bought it for or it's currently worth more, um, that's equity capture. That's great. Then you have appreciation over time. You have a lot of really good tax benefits, especially with rental properties. So I always tell people, you know, I'll give you the very basic and talk to your CPA on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's several different ways that you can, you know, build value and build money. But a lot of people just look at cash flow. And it's like even if you're only cash flowing, like a lot of people want to cash flow 500 bucks a month on a property. That's not very standard, you know, especially with interest rates the way they are now today. So it's like if someone else can pay your mortgage on that and you can break even, you know, that's still a good investment a lot of times. Sure. Because um, even in that situation, like, yeah, 500 bucks a month, passive. I mean, I love passive income. Yeah. Everybody says that. But yeah. the furnace goes out. On month 12, it's $6,000. There goes all of your profit from the entire year. But to your point, you're gaining equity. You've been holding it for the long – the property is appreciating. Like you think of other other investments that doesn't – like there's not as many benefits in that side where it's like 
yes, you can go underwater, but there's a lot more structure to that. And the assumption is a property is going to appreciate over time. You would hope anyway, unless there's other circumstances to it. But yeah. And that, I mean, the biggest factor, like your real estate agent is very important, but it's also important if you're serious about getting into investments um, on a higher level is having a good CPA because they're going to be able to tell you, you know, what your tax benefits are and what your, you know, what, what your benefits are in other aspects or how you can, how you can mitigate losses or things that happen. Um, And then just thinking about what level of stress you want to have. A lot of people, like I am very big on no stress with investments. You like your sleep, it sounds like. (laughs) uh, I just have enough things going on in other areas that with investments for me, it's like I probably pay more than I should on like a contractor or a management fee or something like that because I'd rather just not think about it. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I think people get into investments and then they get overwhelmed and they regret it because they take on too much, you know? And so our clients, a lot of them are more, you know, they're out of state or they're well-established and they have a lot of cash on hand to deal with the furnace going out and this and that. But that's one thing that like we have a lot of people that they have many properties and someone manages them. Mm -hmm. So those are the best type of investors because it's like, I'm just going to pay a property manager. I'm not going to deal with it. Or people that are like, I'm going to do a full flip or I'm going to do a live and flip and I like doing it. I mean, I think about you and Paige, like Paige loves doing those things. So oh, yeah. she's always like, let's just buy another house and I can flip it. I'm like, no. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's, it's like, choose your adventure, right? Mm-hmm. So I bought a flip and for me, I have a contractor that I'm hiring to do all of the work because I don't want to deal with managing it. Like he, you know, owns a home renovation company, is a GC basically, and manages all of it. If I was running a production schedule as well as running a real estate business, I would not enjoy doing a flip. So, you know, you pay a lot more to do it that way. But I also, you know, had equity capture. I bought it off market for a very good price. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when did you close on that? Was that this year or last May, year? May of this year. Okay. Yep. So, so it's been a couple of months then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So goal is to have it done in like four to five months. So you can get, and that's the thing, you can get something done quicker, but my contractor has multiple going on at a time. And so you, I mean, you're going to pay a premium if, the, if you're the only project they're working on. So that's where you want to look at too. You know, what are my holding costs monthly? what and timing the market you know you don't want to sell a house in december so although i'm not running the production schedule you have to be mindful of okay a lot of people just think okay i'm gonna have six months of holding costs potentially but like what value are you giving up if you're selling that home in december versus september so that's the things we help people think about whether it's a flip or you know buying holding a rental property is just looking at you know having them talk to their cpa cpa on the different tax Um, differentiations. And then like, when are you going to sell it? If you do a flip, who's your contractor? What are they going to charge you? What are your holding costs? Um, And just helping them kind of build out that, that estimate and, you know, itemize all those things. Cause there's just a lot that you don't think about. Sure. Cause in, in the house that you bought, which, which area of Des Moines is it in? So it is almost to Pleasant Hill, like Copper Creek area. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's where Paige's parents uh, were before they moved to Ankeny. So, yeah. Um, Cause I'm trying to think, um, a lot of people, they always say like, you know, buy a, buy the worst house in the best neighborhood type of thing. Yeah. And, but obviously there's other factors to it too. It's like, if you're doing the rental side, it's like, there needs to be some kind of attraction that would bring a short-term rental. Yes. It's got to be a vacation area or a lake or yes. some reason, like there would be travelers that need to stay somewhere. If you mm-hmm. get a rental house in like Kearney, Nebraska, and it's yes. like, well, who the hell's going there? Unless, yes. you know, stuff like that, trying to find the right yes. thing that makes sense. 
ugh, we've been working with some Airbnb clients lately, and that is a whole nother type of thinking for like, when are people going to be in town? What are they going to be here for? How long will they stay? Because there's just so much potential in those. Um, but again, I mean, each situation is different. So yes, you definitely look for, you know, I recommend looking for better neighborhoods, lower price points so that you can really build value back into it. Um, and the house that I bought to flip, I bought it because, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the area I would normally choose, but the price was great. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of wiggle room with margin and with what I'm trying to make off of it. Um, and it's a mid-century modern, just like beautiful facade. So sure. there's just people pay a lot more for, you know, black mid-century modern houses. And so I was like, well, I'm going to flip a black mid-century modern house. So sure. there's some of that where you just kind of know what people will pay more for and what's kind of like a novelty type of house. So mm -hmm. that's more important than you know, a specific neighborhood or area to me, um, if the numbers are there. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I think, um, uh, interesting connections like my, one of my really good friends who's in my wedding, he owns a construction business in Boone mm -hmm. and they built the, oh gosh, it's like 1861 farmhouse. It's yep. uh, they flipped the whole property. It took like three years to convert the whole thing to a wedding venue, but they also built on property lodging cause there's no hotels yeah. in Boone. And then they're like, well, it's the winter. We should, this, so they bought this dumpy flip house and like converted that. And they're like, well, maybe we should like buy another one and just hold it. And then we could rent out to the people that are using the venue Yeah, and like just have, well, if there's overflow, if you guys want a house that sleeps like 10, you could rent our house from us or whatever. So it's interesting, like how you, how you mix and match. Cause obviously like real estate investing works a lot of sense for you. Cause you have eight years of knowledge in this mm -hmm. area. I feel like a lot of people get into real estate, not knowing anything mm -hmm. and without like going through the paces of like learning things or asking the right person or paying for a consultant to like teach them what mm -hmm. to do. Because everyone always talks about it, but it's always that, like you said, the guy on the internet or on the podcast yeah. said, they sh oh, I should do this. I should do this. That and it's so, it's so situation dependent. Like I just have a little bit of an issue with anyone that's like, look for this cap rate and look for this, you know, area and this specific formula. Because like, yes, that all makes sense in theory, but there's a lot of times where there's two there's two main things that I tell people to look for because there's so many differentiating factors that can come up and there's so many unique properties that like won't fit in your box of what you're looking for that are a great investment for whatever reason. So I always want to know what level of stress and work do you want to take on? Because we have two different types of investors for sure, you know, and everyone does where it's like I have a lot of money and I want to diversify it somehow. And then there's people that are like, I like to get my hands dirty and I'm not afraid of work. My favorite show is House Hunters, HGTV, like that type of person. Yes, right? yeah. yes. And so that is two very different people to me, you know, because there's people that and these people, too, you know, that just have the funds and they want to diversify. A lot of them are fine paying and contractor, but like I have to guarantee some sort of return for them to feel comfortable with that. So that's really where you have to know your numbers. You have to know your contractors. Um, but it really comes down to like having those two lists for us. And so there's people that I want it turnkey and I want to know a return number. And we just, you know, we find properties that are listed super low for whatever reason or some sort of familial thing happened that they just need it sold in a week. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of one list of investors for us um, where numbers are more guaranteed. I'm not going to do work, but I've got funds up front. Um, and both sides can have funds up front, but it's just two sides of thinking with like what stress and what work do I want to take on? And then we have people that are more, you know, the flipper, the I'm going to do some work and keep it and rent it, but there's work involved for sure. And those are, you know, another list of, hey, this property had a fire, but it's selling for $60,000. Like we don't know 
Um, we don't know anything about it, but here's the opportunity. Do you want to know more? So you have the people where it's what amount of risk and work do you want to take on is one kind of side of the coin. And then also what amount of cash do you have to cover your losses? Because, you know, we go to sheriff sales for some people and you are not allowed to go look at the property. You're not allowed to do a lot of things. You don't know without do I mean we can do title searches and we can do things to look at liens and everything, but you never know for sure. You're just in the front yard and there's an auctioneer being like, Do you want this house? Like yeah. take it as is. The inside could be a crater and the floor or like you don't know. Like it could yes. be anything. And that's the thing is a lot of those you're buying at such a discount that like even if you run into huge problems, then you're still probably gonna come out okay. But sure. like I just never I'm very cautious who I introduce to some of these options out there because I'm not going to be responsible for someone not having the funds and the risk, you know, ability sure. to take something like that on. Sure. I know like my um, in-laws, they they got their their original house in Donaldson where we're from like 25 years ago. <gasps> Donaldson? That's yeah. where I got my puppies. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's where we got our, our border collie as well. Yeah. It's from a family friend down there. But she um, or the, the in-laws, they got their house on auction for like 25 grand, you know, mm-hmm. in the 90s. And it's like then they come into like current market value. 200, 400, 600,000 for a house. I'm like, well, yeah, you got your house at a, yes. like they're just selling the farm type thing. I'm like, yes. it's so different when you're doing an auction buy compared to, mm-hmm. to other things too. So, And that just like brought up a thought in my head too, though, is there's a lot of people that when they see higher interest rates, they're terrified to move, but they really want to. And a lot of times they just haven't really thought through it. And that's where I'm like, just ask the question. You mm-hmm. know, like we're super low pressure, but I've been surprised how many people you know, just mentioned to me out in passing somewhere like, hey, we really want to move. We really need more space or we really need to downsize. But, but you know, rates are so high. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times people don't think about like if you've lived in a house 20 years, you're probably going to owe very little on your mortgage. And then you're probably still going to have a lower payment if you, you know, put that proceeds down on the next house. Mm-hmm. People don't think about that. You know, if you're only paying 7% on 50000 that's not a big deal, you know, versus – what it would be, and then you can probably get a better pr- price on the house and things like that. So, sure. Or if the rates go down, just refinance the loan later. Like that helps yes. to, to get yep. where you want to be. I know everyone always says that, like, oh, I'll wait till the market, but also it's got to work for you. Like yes. if you have a job that's, hey, we need to you move across the country. Well, let me just wait a year until yes. the market might change or things yeah. might happen. They, we always say marry the house, date the rate is a good way to look at it. Um in a market like this. So sure. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, I think one of the other things I wanted to mention too, you, you, we talked about it off camera a little bit, your work-life balance mm-hmm. now compared to previously. Cause when we were working with you for our house, I was, I was always telling Paige, I'm like, I'm so happy she's working so hard for us, but damn girl, go to sleep. Like yeah. take put your phone down. Like, cause there was be times where like, we were negotiating stuff yeah. and it was like midnight, but yeah. I get it. Cause it's like, the fire's hot. They're wanting to get a yes. response. And if you reply quickly, then you can close faster. Like I totally get that. So Talk to me through about like how you naturally are as like a, a workhorse of a person and how mm-hmm. you've had to kind of reposition your mindset as you've grown the team to kind of figure out a new way that you can live your life so you're not just glued to work all the time if, yes. if that's okay. Absolutely. So a couple things I will say with that is one, getting deals under contract is just thrilling for me <laughs> because like that's such a fun thing for your client and then it enables them to do their next thing. So I I will probably always be the person that's like up at midnight, like finalizing a deal. But outside of that, it was a really big lesson in, it was a me thing. Like honestly, I had to realize that I'm a big believer in the saying, you train people how to treat you. And 
I have always had amazing clients. Like I have nothing bad to say about any of my clients, but there are some people that just don't think that we don't need to talk about this at 10 p.m. if it's not urgent at all. And we could talk about it at 9 a.m. tomorrow, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I am someone where, you know, you can't constantly respond to people at 10 o'clock at night if you don't want them to reach out to you at 10 o'clock at night. Sure. So just setting better boundaries in um, – it's boundaries and just expectations with clients of, you know, how long a showing is and when we're available and what our schedules are like and, you know, when's the appropriate time to talk about – you know, included items or whatever it is versus the more urgent things that we're always available for. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, you know, having good expectations with clients, um, working with the right clients also has been big for me. You know, I would say 95% of my clients are amazing, but there are a couple where I close and then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to add you to my follow-up list as much just because it's just a general respect thing. So mm -hmm. that was big on work-life balance was finding the right team members, finding the right clients, working with the right type of, you know, different lead potentials and opportunities. There's so many ways you can connect with people in real estate. And certain things I was doing in the past just weren't worthwhile anymore. You know, you had to do them initially to build that business. And then it's learning how to let go of, you know, the pillars of your business that are no longer serving you or learning how to outsource the things that, aren't worth your time in the sense that if I can pass something off to a team member and help them with their business and then I get time for personal life or time to develop the business in a different way. Um, so really it's just getting out of my own way and finding the time to look at high level things and what am I going to keep at outsource cut, you know, looking at those things. Um, getting a coach was big too. I had a business coach, kind of business and life coach that she always challenged me to have a soul line and a goal line. And I love that because it was like you had to plan and schedule in things for like your soul and your personal life just as much as you did for business and work. Um, and that was big. You know, I think it's just how you're raised and how you were brought up is a big part of it. And you know, I grew up with my dad has six brothers and I mean, they didn't have running water or electricity growing up. So you learn like that workhorse mentality. And I love working because I've never known anything else. Right. And so but I also watch my father and he cannot like slow down or stop or relax ever. And I think there's a lot of people that grew up in his generation that just don't because if that was your only option, like you just don't know how to relax and have free time. And so it's been a lot of just me learning, like you have to give yourself permission to live your personal life just as much as your work life. And I'm lucky to still love my work life. So that makes it even harder to find balance sometimes. Um, as far as logistics of it, just having like a hard stop time. Mm -hmm. So like I it sounds so silly, but like I drink a glass of water every day at six o'clock. And unless it's like urgent, I try not to work after that. That's, and that's your like ceremonial, I'm done for the day. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then it's, you have to be real, realistic with yourself though too. Like I'm really big on time blocking. Like I do not set meetings before 9am because I get up and I work out and I have like, I'm super OCD. So like my house has to be all put together. And like, I'm one of those people, my space has to be the way that it needs to be in order to be efficient and productive with work. Sure. So come home from a crazy day and your house is like crazy. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Yep. So like you have your, you know, your morning routine, whatever you need to do for you. Um, and I don't take meetings before nine. Um, I, unless, you know, there's something crazy urgent, I don't do anything after six unless I'm like showing a buyer. Um, 
or it's going to like really help me to get it done. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and you just schedule it in, you know, at four o'clock, I, I have a hard stop to figure out what I need to get done in the next two hours to be done by six. So it took, it sounds so elementary, but it took so long to figure out like what those two or three things are that I need to do to show up best in my life. And I just know for me, like I need me time from Mm -hmm. six to nine so I can work out and I can have, you know, my lists and my routines or whatever. Um, but it's so hard to like set aside the time to figure out what those things are for you personally. Sure. No, I, I totally agree with that. Cause it, that's, that's one of the things when I, cause I worked full time for mm-hmm. four and a half years before I went off into my business. So I was, my routine back then I have YouTube videos of it and it's kind of scary to watch like, oh yeah, I'd get up at like six in the morning, go work out, go work my nine to five all day, mm-hmm. come straight home and work from like seven to 10 o'clock at night for my side business and just do that every mm-hmm. single day for three years. But like yeah. to your point, I love the thrill of it. I love the idea of building something. But then when I went off my own, I realized like I can make my own schedule and Paige had to really kind of dial me back of like, you don't have to be in the office from nine to five. Like you can do whatever you want. So there's days like yes. um, Mondays and Thursdays, like I'll go to the gym at six. So I leave here by four. Mm-hmm. But then there's days like today where we're, I'm doing another podcast later on today. So I can't go to the gym. Yeah. So I went this morning. So it's like, just having the flexibility to do that, I think is huge. But then having your non-negotiables is so key because for me, like I've gotten to the point now where I will not work Sundays. I won't shoot. Mm-hmm. I've had so many clients that are like, if it's a has to happen or I'm an out of town shoot, it's like double the rate. Cause it's like, this is my only like guaranteed day with my yeah. family to make sure that we can just like be a family and have fun time. Mm-hmm. So I think having those things, if you, you'd said a, a phrase earlier, like you, you train people how to treat you. Yeah. I think if you, are upfront with people on what your expectations are for work. I think that helps a lot. Yes. So for me, I'm like, I rarely give my cell phone to clients ever because they'll call me, text me any hours of the day or the night where you're probably the opposite. You're like, yeah. give me that number right now. Yeah. But I'm like, do it all over email. That's my thing. And then um, mm-hmm. I don't tell certain people like where my business location is because they just want to show up and like, mm-hmm. hey, that video you sent me, can we like walk through it? I'm like, there's a system and a process right. to do that virtually. You don't have to just show up here. So there's things like that where you you get a couple, like you said, a couple bad eggs that abuse yes. your time or your effort, and then you have to put those in there. But I think that helps like safeguard your time because th- that's the one thing we can't get back is if you're super inefficient with your time, it's like, well, crap, now I just wasted this whole week and I can't get it back, you know? Yes. Well, and I 1000% agree with that. And one thing I had to get over mentally was like this fear that like I would have anxiety if I had to tell a client no to a showing or something because I already had plans, but, um, you don't want to like disappoint them or make right. them like, Oh, I'm going to like, we're firing you and we're moving on or right. something. Yeah. Or I would feel like I would have to outsource them to a team member and what I've, I mean, it's, it's a muscle like anything, like setting boundaries is hard. And, but what I realized is like, they don't care. And what something my broker taught me is telling people why, like he would say, Hey, I, I promised my kids I was going to take them to the pool. Like I can't talk to you tonight. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Take your kids to the pool. No problem. So like telling people like, hey, I have a life, I have family, I have commitments, I have, you know, friends I need to see. Um, I think that was a great practice for me to start doing. Um, And just it really was eye-opening to me when I thought about who I respect most and who I want to be around as far as just, like, people and just life and business. And the people that respect themselves and their time and their family time are the people that I look up to the most. And so people that won't respect that for you – you just kind of have to figure out 
who you want to align with. Mm -hmm. And that was a big lesson for me is I had a couple like my my coach was like, no, I can't meet. These are the two times I can meet. And I was kind of frustrated because I was like, well, no, like and it's it's big. You know, people that you want to be around and you enjoy being around normally really do respect their time. Sure. And yours. Sure. And when you get to a certain level in business, you can say no, you can see those problem clients a, a mile away. Oh, and yeah. be like, you know, and there's so I can probably give you 30 different excuses on people that I've sent away that are like, you know, um, we're just we're too tight on uh, bandwidth. We don't have enough bandwidth, like whatever it is, yes. because you can just see those coming. And I had I had a recent client here a couple uh, weeks ago that I was working with that I was just the whole time, like you said. I am never going to work with them again. You are just... not going on my follow-up list. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's like you you live and learn on yeah. like the types of people you want to attract. But I think that's also a part of it too is just putting out into the world what you want to get back. You know, yes. it's like if you know I want to work with business owners or high net worth people, it's like align with those people, do the things yeah. they do, be around them, and you'll attract and them. And just live your personal life with people you enjoy as well. Like that's one thing that I – it took me so long to like really lean into my personal life when we have free time because business owners don't know what free time is, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so when I had free time, it was like, okay, go do something I want to do personally. And that's brought me more business than I would have ever expected. When you're not looking for it, you're not seeking it out. You're just, you know, enjoying your life with people you enjoy being around. Sure. No, I, I love that. People always said I had a, a, a former coworker of mine that broke up with his girlfriend. He's like, I don't know how to meet people. I'm like, well, what do you do in a day? Well, I come to work and I go home. And it's like, well, you're never going to meet anybody. Right. If you like, same thing in business. It's like if your goal is to meet new people, it's like, well, you could go out for drinks and then you happen to run into someone because that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Paige and I will be out. It never like never fails. I'll just be at an event or looking around. I'm like, oh, hey, look who it is. And then yeah. you're like, oh, just start talking with people. So that that's kind of the funny thing is whenever I go to the airport, I always see someone that mm-hmm. I know. And I'm not even like super, super well connected in Des Moines. You're probably the same way if you go to like mm-hmm. a, a chamber of commerce event or a yeah. real estate event or something, you'd see people you know. But I think that just helps to kind of be top of mind and whatnot. I would also say the other piece is like being who you are in real life online is really mm-hmm. like things people don't think about. Because I've met people that are like, you're exactly like you are online. I'm like, why would I be any different? Right. That's like, I want to be like this fake version of myself. Like, that's kind of stupid. Yes. <laughs> and it's exhausting to be fake about yes. it, you know? Yeah. That's, and I've always just like had people tell me how approachable I am. And I think that is why, you know, because if you're authentic and if it matches, then people just feel comfortable, I think. So, totally agree. That's super important. Sure. Absolutely. Well, to tie it all together, I think it'd be interesting to hear, um, a little bit more about like what your vision for the the brokerage is here in the next couple of years. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about, you know, doing a flip house. Now you have a couple employees, like what's kind of your vision for what is to come here in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got, my team operates out of our walkie office and I've, you know, told my team members from day one, um, someone has to want it, you know, and want to lead people and have management experience. But my goal would be to have a Cornerstone Collective team in each office locally and then eventually branch out. Um, into, it's locally here in like different markets in Des Moines? Or, yes. Okay. Yep. So we've got 10 offices in the metro. So, you know, having an Urbandale team led by someone, you know, that had the training and management experience and then me just oversee all the tra- teams. So there's a lot of teams that kind of have like a mega team where there's – not a lot, but there's a couple of teams in Iowa where there's, you know, 30 plus agents on the team. And I'm just a big believer that once you get above probably 10, you can't have the level of synergy and the level of just compassion and care for each other as people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 
our team is really like a family. I mean, everyone looks out for each other and enjoys coming to work and you have peers and you have um, that camaraderie. And that's something that's hard to find in real estate. Like people really have a dog eat dog mentality for a lot of things. So my goal would just be to, you know, keep the culture, grow slowly, but grow the right ways, have people manage, you know, different um, teams within the metro, potentially branch out to other states eventually. Um, I'm just a big believer in like the smaller team, having a really strong leader in each area, um, but having the network to, you know, bounce ideas off each off each other and refer people back and forth. Um, a lot of people have done that nationally with builders where they'll have, you know, a builder and then they'll kind of branch out with different you know, different names for types of builds. So they have kind of different series based on price point and everything. Right. So, you know, potentially partnering with a builder at some point and building out something like that in Des Moines um, would be, I would be open to as well. Um, but really it's just the right people, having the right people and building the right way. Um, we've always been intentional on growing slowly and growing intentionally versus just having people in seats. Um, because once, like I said, once you get over like 10 people, no one's voice is really heard. And there's, there's just not a lot of, a lot of growth and scale that can happen in an authentic way. In my opinion, I've always been a believer in, um, you can't have buy-in without weigh-in. So if people's voices aren't heard, they're never going to really feel like they're part of it. And that's, you know, something that they can put their name on as well. Um, and that's the main reason for the name change. Like I was Russell Real Estate for the first four years I was in business and then changed the name to the Cornerstone Collective. And I wanted something that everyone could own, you know, Taylor or Amanda or George or whoever on the team, like they are the Cornerstone Collective to their clientele. It's not Kelsey's team and George is just, you know, a person in a seat on it. Um, so that was intentional. And then I like to tell people like why we chose that name just because that was really meaningful to me. Um, so in building the cornerstone is the corner piece, like an ancient building where without it, the rest of the foundation would crumble. And so that's what we tell people is like, we want to be foundational in your real estate experience. Like I've always been a big believer in be worth, be worth knowing rather than well-known. And so we are well-known because we've been in the business, you know, eight years and we do right by people, but we just want to be a really good connection. We want to be worth knowing. We want our people to, you know, feel really good about referring us. Sure. There's been so many like name drops for like bumper sticker phrases in this conversation. I feel like we should just start a whole like, it's like you should, you should do that. Get a bunch of like all the little phrases yes. and put your logo on it. That'd be really yeah. cool. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Just like just having a vision for the brand, I think is so key because a, yeah. a lot of people are kind of floating through. I've, I've talked with many business owners that are like, what do you like? You're near retirement. Like any plans for secession? Haven't really thought about it. I'm like, you're like 70. Go home. Like yes. go do something. Go fishing every day. Whatever the heck you want to do. You know. Yes. I think it's just interesting having like a vision for it because that'll that I think that's the the fire that can be under you. So it's not just a mm -hmm. endless hamster wheel of work. It's like yeah. what what are we working towards? You know. I think that's always always key to have. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that surprised me about just like realtors in general, as you look at financial advisors or insurance or anything, like there's always a book of business that gets sold. And real estate's one of the only industries where no one has an exit strategy and no one, you know, sells off their book of business, um, which is very odd to me, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people, maybe they're just not good at tracking it and sure. having follow-up. Well, there's a lot of value if like you said, hey, in 10 years from now, you mm -hmm. take all your leads and say, hey, someone could buy this business, the systems, the yes. pro everything that goes to it. And then you just do a soft introduction to all of those people yes. and say, hey, I'm getting out of the business. This is a trusted person. I'm handing it over mm -hmm. to you're in good hands. Like there's so much value in that than someone just starting from the ground up. Yes. You're basically transplanting your tree, sticking it in someone's yard and then putting like a little 
little seeds and be like, well, maybe in 10 years this will be big. You yes. know, it's like they could just take the advance you've already done and, and go with it. So Yeah, that and that's been my plan all along. Like I people think I'm this like bubbly, you know, approachable gal, but I am like such a systems person on the back end. Like I just nerd out over systems and follow up and stuff. So that's always been an approach for me too, is just, you know, have those resources, have good follow up, have good client communication, um, so that you can do that, whether it's, you know, different people in different offices or selling the whole book to someone to manage, but it's definitely a missed opportunity in real estate for sure. So yeah. that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and, and coming on and sharing all your insights. I appreciate it. So yes. um, we'll have to let anybody else know, like where, where can they find more of you? If they're in the Des Moines area, they're looking to buy or sell, where can they go to find more out about you? Yes. So our website is the cornerstone collective.co and then um, Instagram, the cornerstone collective as well. Facebook, the cornerstone collective real estate team. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody for tuning in to the rhymes with odd show. My name is Ryan Snod, a rhymes with odd, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.